Great to see you all this morning. My name's Neil, and Kate and I together serve and lead uh, the Southwest London Vineyard, this amazing church uh, of which you are all incredibly welcome to, especially if you are new or visiting. It's great to see you here this morning, and so do uh, connect with uh, Henry and Cedar from the welcome team. We'd love to help connect you with the church somewhere, whether it's this part of the body of Christ or somewhere else, um, please do uh, get in touch. Do come and say uh, hello. They'll be um, at the back uh, towards the end. They've got these amazing color. Oh, I, um, what color? Where's Hannah? Lime? Orange. Do you think orange? Mm, orange? Something along the orange, in the orange palette. We're continuing our series on vineyard. Uh, DNA, we've been doing that for a while now. Just talking about some of the things that are important to us here in the vineyard. This morning we're going to take a look at uh, yet another very familiar expression, not only really in the vineyard, kind of just anywhere you stumble across churches, and that is ordinary people, extraordinary God. Ordinary people, extraordinary God. And as we saw from our talk last week on transformation, you know, there are countless stories from the Bible, from the scriptures, of where God has taken someone or something really ordinary and in and through the power of the Holy Spirit has done something utterly extraordinary. And uh, our sense this morning is that the Lord wants to remind us that, with all due respect, in spite of our ordinariness, God wants to do extraordinary things both in us and through us. And perhaps what's even more surprising is that it's, it's actually often in like the very like everyday, ordinary, probably fairly mundane events of our lives that God wants to do something extraordinary. And uh, he does so in his infinite wisdom, most often you know, when we're least likely to expect it. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 2. The words should magically appear behind me, I hope. Uh, it will say this. This is John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in uh, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. No one knows anything about that. 
but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here at Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You may remember in one exchange that Jesus had, he pretty much admonishes the disciples and encourages them, you know, not to be like everyone else around them, you know, sort of lording it over people. He says, you know, he says basically your attitude um, should be based on this, on a willingness to serve, is what he's saying. In effect, what Jesus said to them, and the same uh, applies to us, is if we have a desire to become all that God has called us to be in his kingdom, then we must learn to be servants of all. Because the truth is, the extraordinary happens through ordinary serving. The extraordinary happens through ordinary serving. It's interesting, you know, that the, the early followers of Jesus in the early church, they, they really got this. I mean, uh, look at the apostle Paul. He frequently refers to himself throughout the New Testament as a slave as the servant of Christ. Romans 1, chapter 1, uh, verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. You see the same in James and Peter and Epaphras. You see it in others as well. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant an apostle of Jesus Christ. Colossians 4, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. Followers of Jesus in the New Testament saw themselves first and foremost of, uh, as servants of Jesus. Even Jesus himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, leads in exactly the same way. Have a look at Philippians chapter two. It says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the way of Jesus is no different. Jesus has a, an approach that is so different to the one in which we find ourselves. You know, we're back to the you know, radical Christian counterculture that we often talk about. The way of Jesus is so different to the, the one and the culture in which we find ourselves. Jesus takes the values and the attitudes of the world in which we find ourselves, and he just flips it on his head, he turns it all on his head. See, Jesus taught that uh, position and power, authority, whatever it is, these things are given so that we might not lord it over others, but that we might do the exact opposite. So that we might use any position that we have, our, our finances, our status, or whatever it may be, we do and use all of that to do more good for more people. None of it is supposed to be for self-indulgence. All of it is for rendering humble service. Jesus gave of himself. Jesus emptied himself. 
not thinking that his position in the Trinity was something to be grasped, something to be held onto, something to be gripped, but instead with an incredible unparalleled demonstration of love and sacrifice, Jesus emptied himself of uh, that divine and supreme position not, and, came, and came to earth, not as King of kings and Lord of lords, but as the Son of man. And all this so that you and I could taste and see that the Lord is good in order that we might experience the redemption and the salvation and the transformation that we now enjoy. So if there's anything that characterizes Jesus, it's this willingness to take a lowly and, and a meek and a subservient role and place. If there's anything that characterizes Jesus and the Father, it is this willingness to give of themselves, to serve. It's because God so loves that he gave and continues to give. The extraordinary happens through ordinary serving. And as disciples, as followers, as apprentices, as imitators of Christ, however you want to describe it, in the same way that Jesus has been called to serve, how much more have we all been called not to lord it over others, not to pursue our own dreams, our own agendas, but like him, to see how we can serve. You see, I think when we stand before him and all of our works, our lives are judged, I think this is the basis on which we'll stand. We will have done nothing in actual fact, nothing but our duty to the Lord. You know, we didn't excel in any particular way. We didn't do anything that we shouldn't have done. And in fact, we probably haven't done everything that we should have done. But what we did, we did because it was what was right to do. It was what servants do. We are just to do what Jesus calls us to do, and that is serve. It's who we are. It's, it's what we're about. We're a people who are called very simply to do what Jesus called us to do. It, it really isn't at rocket science. You know, but this um, whole idea is increasingly a challenge in the church uh, today. More and more as we look around uh, the church, we see um, a disciple-less church, Uh, A church that, yes, maybe is filled with people sitting in its pews who may have, or may not have actually, may have made decisions for Christ, but quite possibly haven't entered into um, the commitment that follows to really uh, serve the king and the kingdom. Uh, You'll hear us kind of banging on as about three commitments. Uh, Here, as, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be committed to Christ, his church, and his cause. Christ, his church, and his cause. And, you know, there are a, there's a whole bunch of people who are committed to Christ uh, in the sense that, you know, maybe they've prayed the prayer. But there are a lot of people who just don't find their way to being committed to his church. Uh, so many people now see the church as non-essential. It's just like an extra bolt-on that you can sort of, you know, play around with if you want to. And so, you know, there are lots of people, I mean, you'll know people, lots of people who view the church as something, and it's kind of actually more from like a consumerist perspective, whereby the church is something for them. The church is something for me, uh, as opposed to them being for the church. 
me being for the church. But the re reality is, truth is, the scriptures teach, Christ has called us to love and to serve his church. Um, it's his church that he's coming back for. And that church uh, has been given and called to a cause, and that cause is the reconciliation of men and women to their loving father. We've been called uh, to rescue others. We've been rescued to, to be rescuers. Reconcile, we've been called to, we've been reconciled so that we reconcile. That's our calling, that's our purpose here on earth while we wait for Jesus uh, to return. We've been called to be a people who will serve him, to love and serve Jesus, to love and serve one another, and to love and serve uh, our neighbors, to love and serve Christ, to love and serve his church, and to love and serve his cause. The extraordinary happens through ordinary serving. Uh, second thing is the extraordinary happens through ordinary obedience. Uh, here we get to see the story of the famous, really famous story, the wedding at uh, Cana. It's Jesus' first miracle. He turns the water into wine. And uh, here's Jesus. He's um, at this wedding. It's possibly, some people say, it's like the gospel writer John's wedding. It's all kind of, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and he's come along and he's probably part of the wedding party with the family. Jesus is probably part of the wedding party with the family. And the wedding has begun. And in the Hebrew tradition, the bridegroom would have like brought everything. The bridegroom brings everything uh, to the party. All the bride needs to do is be ready. All the bride needs to do is be ready. That's all she has to do, uh, be ready for when the bridegroom comes. And so she's ready, and so they come, and they bring everything. They bring the clothes and the food and the wine. Uh, they basically bring the party with them. And it's against this backdrop that, um, you know, the wedding is underway, and they run out of wine. Now, uh, that would be a disaster in any cultural context, okay? A wedding running dry is not everyone's kind of great idea of a party. So it, this is like a major social disaster. It's no different then to how it would have been now. So they've run out of wine, and Mary goes to Jesus and says, basically, like, help, help. What are we gonna do? We've run out of wine. There's no more wine. This is a disaster. Verse three, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus, and I always think that Jesus' response here is pretty interesting. I, I mean, maybe I'm misreading it, but I, I think he kind of comes across as being, I mean, can't possibly be because he's the son of God, but he sort of sounds like he could be on the edge of a little bit irritable, a little bit irritated. Um, I think he just gets a little bit cranky. Maybe he hasn't had enough wine. I don't know. But whatever it is, he says in verse 4, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. And again, you know, we've got to understand the context of this and the whole idea of timing, because what Jesus is saying is it's not my time. It's not his time. Uh, you know, but the only way to get wine, you know, it's not to nip down to the off-license. That's not going to work. If there's going to be wine, it's going to have to be made. And if Jesus does that, which of course he can, then everyone is going to know. I mean, it's a big giveaway, isn't it? Like, 
everyone's going to know who he is, and it's all going to get messy, and it's all going to get messy really quickly, and this isn't the plan, and I hadn't planned to do this kind of thing. And you can kind of hear Jesus sort of saying under his breath, you know, mother, what are you trying to do to me? But his mother knows perfectly well that he'll do something. Uh, so uh, she's so utterly convinced of what he'll do that she says in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I mean, Jesus hasn't even said he's going to do anything, but she knows that he's going to do something. So she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, if you don't have that end of that verse underlined in your Bibles, you should. Or in, on your phones or apps or... I don't know, whatever devices you use to digest and devour and meditate and cogitate on the scriptures on a daily basis. Um, do whatever he tells you. Because that kind of verse tells us really who we are. You know, we may be the sons and daughters of the king by virtue of kind of bowing our head and uh, repenting of our sins. But if we're walking in Jesus' shoes, if we're mimicking him, which is what we've been called to do, then first and foremost, we are to be like him, uh, servants. And we become a servant by walking with Jesus over a lifetime. Uh, Jesus' mother says, you know, basically servants, do whatever he tells you. And, and that's actually pretty good counsel. It was good counsel to the servants there at the time, and it's really good counsel to us here in our time. Do whatever he tells you. Uh, go down to verse 6. Uh, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, there's, there's nothing magical about any of this. Uh, all they did was fill some pretty ordinary jars, albeit ginormous jars, with some pretty ordinary water. And there's like a lot of effort involved in this. They would have had to have gone down to the well and bring it back and draw it up and all that kind of stuff. And so this would have probably taken a fair bit of time, no doubt a fair bit of effort. Uh, these are big jars, remember? You know, they, hold, they each hold 20 to 30 gallons, and there's six of them. But in and of itself, there's, there's absolutely nothing thrilling about any of this transaction. Like, none of this is, um, is exciting. None of this is thrilling. So far, you know, it's probably a pretty hot day. The wedding has clearly not been very well planned. Someone didn't get enough wine. You know, it's not my fault. You know, I'm like a, a servant sort of having a cigarette around the corner on my break, chatting to my other servant friends and saying, I don't know what's going on here. They clearly haven't planned this wedding properly. And now I've got to go and do all this extra work, you know. And yet you're asking me to do all these things, you know, with water. You know, have you seen the size of these jars? Have you seen the size of these things? And like, no one's asked for water. Like, who wants water at a wedding? So, you know, here I am. I'm not getting paid anything, probably very much at all. And I'm supposed to go off and I'm going to lug these ceremonial jars down to the well. I've got to get a whole load of water just for no reason at all, just because someone else didn't order enough wine. That's how I'd be responding, you know, like, I'd be grumpy, I'd be moaning and groaning. 
Is that what we're supposed to do? Absolutely, yes. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Do whatever he tells you. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. You know, when someone asks us to help out, you know, with setup. Like, really? Like, seriously? Why is, it's not my fault someone didn't show up, you know? Why isn't, why isn't setup, the setup rotor better organized? You know, like, what you mean? I've got to go and, like, move, like, flight cases and put up feather mat. I don't, I don't, there must be somebody else who can do that. Or, you know, when somebody uh, says, can you step in and help out on the Vineyard Kids team this week because we're short, it's like, well, I, I mean, I planned my schedule properly. I knew the weeks I was going to be in church and the weeks I wasn't. Why are they not organizing themselves properly? Why, I mean, I don't even like children. Why on earth would I come and help out on this thing? Or like youth, I mean, I like youth even less than children. And now I'm being asked to help out on youth. Like, can't somebody somewhere organize and arrange these things, plan these things better? Could be the same with, you know, job club or food bank or grow baby or wherever it may be. We're to do whatever he tells us. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. When we sense that the Lord is asking us to do something, and that could be, you know, serving on a team or helping out on a team. That could be uh, praying for someone who's sick. It's like, you know, you find yourself somewhere and it's like you see someone who's sick and it's like you sense the Spirit of God is saying, I want you to pray for them. It's like, oh, for goodness sake, why can't they just go to the doctor? Like, that's why we have an NHS for that. I mean, we don't need all of this hocus-pocus mumbo-jumbo. Like, just go and see your GP. But no, the Spirit of God is saying, I'm supposed to pray for them. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Like, they, what if they say, like, what are they going to say? They may be like, what's wrong with you, you strange person asking to pray for me? But if the Spirit of God is saying, I want you to pray for that person, our job is to do whatever... He tells us it's what we're supposed to do, you know, when we feel like he's supposed to invite our neighbors to, you know, church or to the well or to the women's event. On a it's like, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to do that. It's awkward. I mean, these people are my friends. They don't know I go to church. If I invite them to a church thing, then they'll find out I go to church. I don't want to do that. Do whatever he tells us. It's just about being servants. It's just about being obedient. I don't think the servants at the wedding wanted to fill six ceremonial jars of 20 to 30 gallons each with water. I don't think they thought there was any point in it. I don't think they thought there was any purpose in it. I don't think they thought it was worth their effort. I don't think it was, they thought it was worth their while, but they're servants, so they just do what they're asked to do. And the reality is, it, you know, some of it is to do with how we respond in the moment. You know, it's what do we do when we're asked? Uh, you know, do we huff and do we puff and do we kind of make some kind of excuse? excuse? You know, that's, that would be how I'd respond. I'd probably do it, but I'd probably do it sort of begrudgingly under my breath. I'd probably be happy to serve and to do what I've been asked, but I'd probably be muttering. Do we say in that moment, do we say, do you know what, right now, I'm a servant, I'll do whatever it is I'm asked. I'll do whatever it is he tells me. Because that's what these guys do, you know. These guys have every good reason to complain, but as far as we can tell, they don't. They do what servants do. They very simply obey. 
And then uh, the extraordinary happens through ordinary people. Uh, have a look at verse 8. Uh, Jesus says this, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, it's really important to remember that um, the servants were the only ones who, at this point in time, they were the only ones who had touched anything. No one else has gone near anything. No one else has gone near the ceremonial jars. No one's gone near the water. They no one else has touched anything apart from the servants. Those at the wedding hadn't done anything. The bride and groom hadn't done anything. They were just too busy gazing lovingly into each other's eyes. Uh, the master of the banquet hadn't done anything. Jesus himself hadn't touched anything. Only the servants had touched it. Do you see? It's the servants who get to do the stuff. It was the servants who got to turn the water into wine. It was, in effect, at their hands. It was at their doing. It was the servants. Verse 8, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. You see, they knew. The servants, the servants get to know what's going on, because they're the ones. They're the ones who are involved in the process. The servants are on the inside track. The servants understand. In doing these menial little things, filling ceremonial jars with water, these great things that go down in history come out of it. You know, do you ever get to hear some of the, the great things um, that people are doing and seeing uh, happen in the kingdom of God? You know, you might hear about, I don't know, someone like Heidi, uh, Heidi Baker. You know, uh, she pitches up in a, a village somewhere in the middle of Mozambique and she um, gets out the Jesus DVD or YouTube, I don't know, however she does it these days. Uh, she gets out the Jesus uh, DVD and film and, and she plays that to like anyone uh, who's in the village and she just asks, you know, is there anyone here um, who's deaf or blind or... Uh, sick in any way, and usually there's some people with some serious sicknesses, and then uh, someone uh, comes out, she prays for them, and she prays for the Lord to heal them, and of course, invariably, it would seem that this person is healed, which is amazing, uh, and then as a result, uh, more often than not, the whole village then give their lives to Jesus. Uh, it's all amazing, wonderful. You know, and we hear about all of that, and we're thrilled about that. And it's like, that's so good. Good old Heidi, wonderful. I'm so glad people around the world are doing these things and seeing these things. I've seen nothing like that, like ever. I pray for people, they don't get healed. You know, no villages, no small conurbations or whatever come to faith in Jesus because I played a Jesus DVD. I don't, it's great. Heidi's doing amazing things. So many other people. But I'm not seeing any. That's just not my experience. We hear about these people who sort of leap um, from one extraordinary, or seem to leap from one extraordinary profound spiritual encounter to the next, like sort of um, spiritual spring box, you know, leaping from, you know, high place to high place to high place. We, in the meantime, feel maybe more like a snail or a tortoise, sort of steadily plodding along, nothing too exciting, but maybe one day we live in hope. 
The truth is, even for these so-called giants, there, is, there are a whole lot of menial things uh, that get done just simply out of obedience for no other reason um, than because you say so, I will. If we could get into the whole life story of the Jackie Pullingers and the Heidi Bakers and the Andy and you will find servants of Jesus who were filling stone ceremonial jars with water. It's just we don't get to hear about that bit of the story. We just get to hear the wonderful story. Every so often it seems like, you know, God just turns up the power uh, in our situation when we're just doing something really menial, Monday, and, and something extraordinary happens that no one had any idea was going to happen. No one knew it was going to happen. And you see, it's out of routine serving that the Lord does extraordinary things. We, we pray for so many people and nothing happens. Um, we're going to need an inner conviction that the only thing that we can do is to keep on being faithful, keep on being obedient, and keep serving. Like, you know, that guy in uh, Luke 17 who says, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Our duty is to get up and to walk over and do it time and time and time again. And it's as we do that, it's as we render ordinary, humble service, that's when the extraordinary happens. You know, it's so hard to see sometimes, but it's like when so many of you are serving on vineyard kits, week in, week out, you've been doing it faithfully, going down to the well, filling the ceremonial jars with water, not necessarily entirely sure why you're doing or what you're doing, but hoping against hope that the Spirit of God is doing something. You have no idea what impact you are having in the lives of those young people that you're ministering to. You may never know, but never underestimate what the Spirit of God is doing as you serve. Or those of you who pitch up at the yard week in, week out for job club or tea and toast on Tuesday or food bank or grow baby, you just serve whoever comes your way. You're just rendering humble service faithfully. And all you're doing is serving a panini or making a cup of coffee or uh, being kind to somebody or welcoming. You have no idea and you may never know what impact is, is being had on those people's lives and what the Spirit of God may be doing in the lives of those people. Think about all of our house group leaders. They open up their homes. You open up your homes week in, week out. You've got no idea who's going to come through the door or what state they're going to be in. But you do it anyway. Those of you who are just faithfully committed to prayer and fasting, those of you who keep laying hands on the sick and praying that they may be healed. Those of you who just keep on sharing your faith and telling others about what Jesus has done in your life and you do it in season and out season. We are unworthy servants. We're just doing our duty. And whilst we may not see all that we long to see all the time, what I do know is that if we don't do it at all, we'll never see water turned into wine. If we don't fill the ceremonial jars with water, there will be no wine. It won't happen. We've got to take on the role of humble service. That's 
where it's at. The rest of the wedding party didn't have a clue. The master didn't have a clue. The servants knew what Jesus had done. Extraordinary happens through ordinary service. Um, the extraordinary happens through ordinary obedience. The extraordinary happens through ordinary people. And as a church, you know, the Lord is calling us once again. He's calling us to remind us of our calling to be servants. And I think the Lord would want us to ask ourselves, you know, how do we do the small things? What's our heart attitude? What's our attitude to doing the small things, the invisible things, the menial things? With all the things that the Lord is calling us into, are we a people who first and foremost are looking for opportunities to serve? Or are we waiting uh, to be waited on? Do we walk into the situation and ask the Lord, what can I do? Where can I help? What can I bring? What can I give? Do we walk into a situation and ask the Lord, what is it that he would have us do? And then do whatever it is he asks of us. You know, do we, I mean, do we stay late at house group to help clear up? Or do we just walk out the door and leave the dishwasher loading and the clearing up to somebody else? Do we arrive early and say, like, you know, would you like me to come early so I can help set up for you? Just, you know, thank you so much for opening up our ho your home and thank you for leading this group. Why don't you let me come early and, and, and serve you by setting some stuff up? Or like, you know, I notice you're doing the food all the time. Like, why don't I do that? Can I serve you by bringing food and sharing on the road to, uh, for food? Do we, do we look for, proactively look for the ordinary, non-shiny jobs that no one really wants to do because they're really not going to get us noticed um, and do we then do those things faithfully because it's to those who are faithful in the small things those people will be given much whatever situation we find ourselves in um, will we ask the Lord what he would have us do and then will we do it will we identify ourselves as a servant Will we identify ourselves as being like Jesus? Will we choose to die to ourselves, to our own kind of agendas, and instead to live for him, for this extraordinary God who takes our very ordinary lives and does these extraordinary things in and through them? Uh, why don't you stand? We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper.